Hey guys, glad to see you. I know it's a little chilly out there, but y'all are so brave. You handled the wind. I, I laugh because I'm like, last night was, it was raining like crazy, crazy at like four o'clock and our class is at 6.30, and I legit was like texting Lauren going, are we going to have to cancel? And I'm like, that seems so ridiculous, y'all. It's raining. That was, don't record that, Cam. Just ignore that part. (laughs) Welcome to Women's Bible Study. I'm so glad you're here. Um, We're in week three of covering the Psalms, and uh, last week we talked about Psalm 90. Do you remember who wrote Psalm 90? You slept. It's fine. Ah, star pupil in the front. Moses. Yeah, it was, it was what we believe to be the oldest psalm in the Psalter, which Psalter is a fancy word for all 150 of them, okay? So just throw that around at Corner Bakery today at lunch. Just be like, I'm in the Psalter. I'm studying the Psalter. Um, people will be impressed. This week, we're going to look at Psalm 103. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 103. If you did your homework, and I'm sure you all did, <laughs> duh, right? Um... You know that we covered that psalm this week and that we covered several in the, in the fourth collection, if you will, of the book of Psalms. Remember I told you there's like, they, since there's 150 because that's like a whole bunch, they, the, the editors broke them into collections so they're kind of easier to navigate. And so we're in book four of the Psalms, the Psalter. And um, in your lesson three homework, and if you'll remember, I, I, I asked a question in the very first day before you even got into your questions I asked this, um, kind of a rhetorical, but it got me thinking this week. The title was Ravished with Wonder. That's the title of the lesson. But I asked this question, how do I let wonder and worship seep into every crack of my life? And I don't know if you got real with God and said, well, do I? You know, I don't know. I'm I'm in a difficult stage. I'm in a hard season or I'm in a great season. Everything's balanced delicately, but I'm fearful that things are about to crash. I don't know where you are, but... Being ravished with wonder, when when we talk about wonder and and praise and worship, we're not talking about just singing songs. We're talking about living a life that this part seeps into every single area, okay? So for for me, I I was thinking about that as I was working on this lecture, and I thought, okay, you know, I kind of had this thing um, coming together, Psalm 103. I'm excited to hear from David again, our precious little darling David that we haven't heard from in a a couple weeks, and... um, at the same time, though, I was working on something else. I was writing this thing, and I thought it was going to be a blog entry. And, and, and so I wrote out this whole big thing. And then as I was working on this lecture, I realized, you know, I don't think it was a blog at all, guys. I think it was for today. Because for, for me, it kind of all married together what I believe David's purpose is in this psalm, in this beautiful praise that David wrote. And so I'm going to read to you kind of what I wrote and see if you follow with me, see if you see the connection. And if you don't, just nod and smile and act like you did because I saw it. So so I'm going to read what I wrote. And these are some words I wrote. And it was about something I did in in November, okay? So it's been a few months. I was working on a little self-examination exercise recently. Um, It's January, right? Let's pause. It's January. We all like want to get better and self-help and the gyms are full and all the things, right? So I was kind of doing it. I'm like, okay, I can do this. But it was in November. And the idea of this exercise was that I need to identify how my thought life is controlling my entire life. Like when I say my entire life, I mean like my actions and my decisions and my opinions and my motives. Okay, so you kind of get the idea, right? And so it sounded just self-helpy enough that it piqued my interest, so I took it on, and I, 
I started this assignment, and the first part of the assignment was to write on a blank sheet of paper, and I wrote it in my journal, one primary emotion or feeling that you're experiencing right now in your life at that moment that feels like it's the center of everything for you, okay? It's like kind of everything is revolving around this one feeling, okay? And so obviously, it seems easy, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, I wanted to write like, like sweet, precious little words, like cute words, like, like peaceful or joyful or happy or comfortable or hopeful, right? Those are the words that I thought, okay, I'm going to write these. And my, my, my page remained blank. And, and, then, and then God did this to me. He gave me the word, and the word was um, exhausted, exhausted. And I thought, boy, that's, that's a shame. That's too bad. I cried some tears when I saw the word on the page. You know, I, I dragged my pen around it in a kind of a jagged, hesitant circle. And I'm, I wasn't quite sure. Um, that word just sounds really heavy, you know, um, deep, stacked high. It was like, it was more than a take a pill and fix it or go for a walk and clear your head kind of word to me. It was bigger than tired. It was depletion. I felt like depleted. And, and so this awesome self-help exercise was getting more depressing by the moment. So as the exercise went on and I had this terrible word in the middle of my page, the next step um, was that you're supposed to scatter words all around it that are representative of different areas of your life. Okay, so the, 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 some of the examples that she gave were like your health and your body or your marriage or your work or your family or your home life or your friendships, relationships, your relationship with Jesus, you know, you get the idea. Those areas that, that take your time and your thoughts and your feelings, right, that are part of your life. And so I jotted down the words around. And the next step was to then write a laundry list of ways that each of these specific areas, parts of my life, were contributing to that big word in the middle. And, and that was weird. You know, like a hundred times I wanted to bail out on this. I'm like, it's bad enough the word's on the paper, right, like in pen. But now I've got to write all these other things. And, and I wanted to bail, and I never wanted to get specific. And then the words wouldn't stop. They just kept coming. Some of the things that, that I wrote, um, when I thought, thought about my home, you know, my awesome home where I have, I have a husband and kids and family and dogs. And I started thinking about things, what makes me exhausted, that my to-do list's just stack up, and I never seem to get anything done. I thought about um, my work life, and I thought I feel disorganized, and, and at times things are unclear, and I desperately want approval, anyone? And then I thought, like, okay, what else makes me exhausted? I need space and time and quiet to write and do things, and, and it doesn't come, and I don't have it. And then I thought about relationships. That was super fun. That was like the big one at the bottom. It's like, this is ridiculous. I thought about broken relationships. I thought about how I'm no good at small talk anymore. I thought about how um, sometimes being around people just takes my energy. It just zaps me. Not because of them, but because of me. I thought about how I feel responsible for other people's feelings all the time. And then I moved on and I thought about um, my health and body. And I thought oftentimes I feel failure. I feel like I'm failing because I'm not nailing goals that I put on a calendar. I thought about how sometimes I, I expect happiness when um, I look a certain way or I work out a certain amount of time or I eat the right things. or I, I feel that something's going to come from that and then it doesn't. 
And then I start the cycle all over again. I thought about um, the places in my life where I let the tyranny of the urgent rule. And then I thought about my faith. Then I thought, there are times I feel very distant from God. Anybody? I thought, there are times when I feel like I'm ashamed because I'm lacking faith in a certain situation. I thought about times where I seek to study instead of seek to have relationship. Anybody? And so this word exhausted, I was like, this is the worst exercise in the world. This is so depressing, but so true and so real, you know? I don't know what your word is. I don't know what you feel, but... But as I stared down at all of these things, I realized something that recognizing these, writing it all down is great, wonderful. But just recognizing those things is not a cure, amen? Self-help books, all the things that we do to try to improve is not a cure. What the cure is, is we have to exchange our mind for the mind of Christ. We have to decide that these are emotions and changeable things, and God is never changing and always reliable, amen? Well, we have to make an exchange, and I have a choice. I have a decision to make. Do I, do I live and dwell in this place? Which is no joke. It's not fun. I, you're all like, boy, this is really uplifting. I'm glad I came today. Well, I will tell you this. On the positive end, you know, every um, Bible study, we always encourage you to come up with a word, right? Like maybe pray about it or ask God or ask other people, and you're like, what should be the word that I focus on? And for me, for 2020, the, the word that kept coming up was revival, Revival uh, sounds like a big old, like, um, you know, hands held high tent in the middle of town kind of thing. But, but it's, it's not that as much for me. Honestly, um, I tried to get rid of that word over and over. I'll tell you, that's being honest. I was like, eh, that is not my word. That is not my word. But God kept saying, yeah, it is. So I sat down and I worked on today's lecture. And this is what I thought. We need to exchange the exhaustion for the revival. Amen. You see, revival is a shift, you know, it's a restart, it's a refocus, and looking to God alone, not me and not my always changing circumstances or my library of self-help books. You see, God wants to give us a before and an after. And, and so when I sat down to work on Psalm 103, I'm like, okay, God, this is revival. This, these words of David, as we go through them, I think you're going to see that he is screaming for revival in his own life. He's Essentially, we're opening his journal, and it's interesting, this psalm, because um, it took me a minute. I was like, who is he talking to? You know who he's talking to? Himself. He's speaking to himself in the words of Psalm 103. And I thought, we all need to speak these words to ourselves because I don't know what your word is, and maybe your word is cute. Maybe you have a great, wonderful moment, and in this moment, everything is joyful and happy, and there's birds singing and all the things. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. And maybe you need revival too. And so we're going to look at David and we're going to see what David has to tell us about revival through the words of Psalm 103. Um, Psalm 103, I'm going to break this little thing down by, in three parts. We're going to talk about praising him. We're going to talk about remembering him. We're going to talk about what I just talked about. We're going to talk about revival and how we get there. So before we go into the actual text, I want to give you a little context, a little background that I drummed up about this particular psalm so we can kind of get our minds straight on what our author is going through and thinking about when he wrote it, okay? Um, I mentioned it was written by David, King David. Um, he wrote the majority of the psalms that we have in here, right? Even some that are anonymous, we suspect that possibly he wrote those as well. This Psalm 103 is the first of four psalms that reflect on God's people. 
Interesting, right? It reflects on God's people from creation to exile. He's going to look back. You know, remember last week we looked at Moses' words about Exodus, about the exile and about um, the rescue that God gave them, getting them out of Egypt. Well, well, this one reflects back too. So that's kind of interesting, but we're going to hear it from David's perspective. This psalm has been called, I love this, the Mount Everest of praise psalms. Do you love that? You're like, yeah, after that intro, Chris, I need something a little um, upworthy, a little up, uplifting, right? Well, the other thing that's kind of cool about this psalm is there is not one single ask in this psalm. Not one time does he petition or cry for help. And if you've done psalms with us last semester, you know, hey, guys, that's rare, right? <laughs> it seems like every psalm is like, how long? Help me. Do, you know, all the things that we are saying in our heart. And this one, he never asked for one single thing. So I think that's interesting. David is, like I mentioned, it's like opening his journal. He's prompting and prodding himself to bless and to praise the Lord. And, and we'll go into that word bless in just a minute in the first section of, in the first section and then the last section of the psalm. I'll explain that a little bit. It follows, um, the, the first section goes into, there's like a little praise thing. And then it goes into this whole big section. If you did your homework, you already know all this. It goes into this whole thing where, where David is essentially just throwing out this list of reasons God is is trustworthy and to be and worthy to be praised. And then in the end, he ends it with another bookend of praise, like just, you know, bless you, Lord, praise you, God. Um, and so what's interesting is in that middle section, some scholars think there are like 17 things, specific things that he praises God about. I've seen as many, if you break it out even more, some say there's like 28, but let's just say there's a big old list. And, and I heard it said this way, and this stuck with me, that this is not just a list of attributes, y'all. This is a list of God in action. Do you love that? Like, these, are, these aren't just like, God, you're pretty. You know, it's like, no, no, this is what he did. He did this, and he did this, and he did this. And because he did this, it proves that he is who he says he is. He's a God in action. I love that idea. And then um, David, and you'll see how when we lay it out, he finishes with this whole section that is basically like, you know what? Just me praising God ain't enough. I got to call. I got to call in the reinforcements. And he starts bringing in angels and and all that into the deal. And so we'll look at that in a minute. But that's kind of the background of this psalm. And so Psalm 103. I'm going to roll through it kind of fast. It's long, um, and so I want to make sure that we hit a lot of what David wants us to understand. And so the first two verses is where we're going to start. We're going to look at the idea of praising God, even if, even when, even though. Praising God, even in the midst of your circumstances, even though it doesn't feel like he's near, even when sometimes he feels like he's silent. I think that's what David wants us to understand. He says this in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, for me, that kind of tripped me up a little bit. I'm like, how do I bless God? I mean, God's like, yeah, thanks, whatever. I don't really need that from you. Well, the word bless there, just so you understand in this translation, it's not necessarily like what we think. Like if I'm going to bless Kathy with something, I'm going to give her something or, or render something to her. That's not really the proper use of that word bless. That word is actually the Hebrew word for barak, B-A-R-A-K if you're into that sort of thing. And what that word means is that you're declaring God to be the source of blessing, worthy of being worshipped. 
The NIRV, that's another um, translation. If you don't look around to other translations, I highly recommend that you do. I do it almost every time I read something. I'll read it in one version, and then I'll be like, okay, mm -mm, go read it in something else until they kind of get it. But the NIRV is a really good one. I recommend it. It it breaks everything down into little tiny sentences, little bite-sized pieces. And the NIRV translates these first two verses this way. I think you'll understand kind of the language when I say it like this. NIRV says, I will praise the Lord. Deep down inside me, I will praise him. I will praise him because his name is holy. I will praise the Lord. I won't forget anything he does for me. You see the difference? He's praising him in, with everything he has. I shared with you in your homework, if you got to that, a Martin Luther quote about this particular usage of, um, of wording here where David says, all that is within me. Luther says it this way. When he says that, he's saying you are praising God with your body and your soul and your eyes and your ears and your limbs and your senses and all reason and all faculty. Not just standing up and singing a song. Amen. It's with every single bit of us, every single part of our lives. He also says just in those two verses, not only is he going to praise God with everything, he says that he's going to praise him because he remembers. Do you see that? He's going to praise him because he remembers all the things that God has done, the God in action. And we're going to go into that in just a minute because he's about to list them out. He's saying that I will recall the past acts that you have done on my behalf. That I will remember those acts that you have done. And then I will reactualize those acts for the present moment. Do we do that? Are we good at remembering I'm going to, you, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say we're not great at this. And here's why. This is one reason that I believe this. Um, over 200 times in the Old Testament, the writers of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, remind us to remember or to not forget over 200 times. That's just on the left side of the Bible. There's a lot more on the right side. Why do you think we have to be reminded of that over and over and over? Because we forget. We forget to remember that makes sense, doesn't it? I started thinking about this. I'm like, okay, that we're to remember God. And David says clearly that I am not going to forget. And so I started thinking, like, what are, what are the ways that we don't remember the right way? You know, I thought a couple of things, and this just came to me. So, like, I'm sure there's a million more. But here's what I thought. I thought, um, first of all, it's human nature to forget. We know that. The Bible tells us 200 times to not forget because he knows that we will forget. But I think often we remember, but we remember the wrong way, and here's why. I think we remember, and we remember it as revisionist history. Anybody ever heard that term? Yeah, where we remember something, but we've revised it in our mind, and we're not remembering it accurately. Um, I, was, I was thinking through this. I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like, we remember things incorrectly. And I asked my husband, I'm like, hey, do you have a good, like, real-life example about how you know, how we were, and y'all are already laughing, how we remember things that are not true. And he goes, yeah, I got one. We remember that we were cool in high school. <laughs> not true. We were not cool. <laughs> I'm like, that is so godly. Yes, that's true. We remember things the wrong way, don't we? Another thing that we do is we remember, oh, this one hurts. We remember the bad and we forget the good. Anyone? 
I don't want to look at you right in the eye, but every one of us does it. We look back at these seasons of pain or struggle or challenge, and we forget to attribute the God to God the things that he got us through, the strength maybe, you know, the endurance maybe, maybe the relationships he restored, maybe things that he did in the midst of the dark things because a lot of times we get too focused on the hard, don't we? I think about the Israelites, bless their little hearts. It's so easy for me to read that part of the Bible and be like, they are so stupid. <laughs> I mean, God like saved them. Hello, there was like plagues and river, not river. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. All kinds of miracles, you know. God's doing these things like essentially like reaching his God hand down and like parting the seas and like I mean, fire in the sky and clouds and manna from heaven. I mean, come on. And then I hear God going, hey, so you. We do the same thing, don't we? God is doing God things all the time, but we are so hyper-focused on the hard that we forget to look at the good. We remember the bad. We forget the good. Another thing about remembering is, um, ooh, this one hurts. We remember what God's done, but we take credit for it. Anybody? I mean, not you, not me. I mean, everybody else we know, but we do, don't we? I think about that. I often do. You know, I'm the worst at, this is confession time, by the way. I'm the worst at going back and praising him and thanking him and attributing things to him that he did. I was on my knees wrecked, on my face, broken, asking for things, and God, like, answered them. And then I forgot, got up, dusted my dust off my knees and moved on, and I forgot to look back and go, oh, you did that. We do that, don't we? We decide, oh, it's because I'm so strong. It's because I'm so this. It's because the people around me this or the circumstances this. Instead of how about a God that loves you so much that he saw you broken on your face and said, I'm going to step in. We forget to um, attribute things to him. And so when we see that, that David is throwing out all these things that he remembers, don't lose sight of the fact that he's just like us. He forgets those things too or he remembers them incorrectly as well. Well, Verses 3 through like 19, he goes into this giant cool list of God in action, okay? Really cool stuff. But I'm going to break it down. The way um, commentaries say that he, this big section, this big passage, he really kind of broke it into three parts. He started in verses 3 through 5, and they're very personal, very specific to him himself. And you'll see his language. He'll say me and my. And then he shifts in verses 6 through 14, and he gives examples in the lives of others. And then he goes into this this really big thing where he invites everyone into it. And I think you'll see. But let's start with verses 3 through 5 and take a look at how um, David makes it personal, how he gives God the remembrances that are personal to him. In verse 3, he says this. He says, when he's talking about bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 3, he says, who forgives all your inequities, and heals your diseases, all your diseases. Remember, he's speaking to himself, okay? And so when he says those two words, forgives and heals, I want to pause for a minute. We think we, think we know what that means, don't we? We, we put a, like, a, like a tender little precious little bow on, on the word forgive, but we, we need to remember when he says forgives my iniquities, he's saying iniquities means sin. And sin is anything that separates us from God, anything. And so the fact that David is, is, is acknowledging that, that he loves and serves and worships and praises a God who forgives his sins, the ones in the past, the ones in the now, and the ones in the then, it is, is huge. It's like a big moment. Anything that separates us from God, it's like a disease, a weakness that infects and spreads. And David's saying, but you forgive me for that. 
jot down Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, Colossians 2.13, and you see how that unfolds in the New Testament when Jesus comes to earth to die and make right all of our iniquities, all of our sins. But David is, is calling God right now. He's saying, you're worthy of praise because of that. He goes on to say that he heals. You know, um, a lot of times when we see the word, he, who heals all your diseases, that can be um, bumpy. Because I know there are people in this room that he is not physically, it doesn't feel like he's physically healing or that you've sat beside someone that he didn't physically heal. And you're looking at that saying, that's not true. Well, I will tell you this. When you see the word heal, especially right in the same context of forgive, it's probably referencing a metaphor for the restoration of spiritual life, the ultimate healing that believers receive. But I will also challenge you with this. And this is me talking, not this talking. But I will say, when I see the word heal and I talk to friends that struggle with faith or don't have faith or are mad at God, Oftentimes I hear them say, yeah, but look what he let happen to my friend, child, wife, husband, whatever. And then I think, I think of a time in my life where um, I lost my best friend to a really rough battle with cancer. And, and um, she died on my birthday, got a phone call. And I, I just remember that day like yesterday because I was so mad at God, because you know why? We had done like this really like cute prayer vigil thing at the hospital two days before, and it felt like God was there. I mean, I, I you know, come on. It, I, he was there, and he was affirming that, and he was in that, and I, I don't think I've ever spiritually experienced something that was so real. And then a few days later, my friend dies, and I'm thinking, well, you didn't heal her. And it was like I heard a God voice. I'm not going to say I heard it. But it was like I did, and I will never forget it. And it was like him saying, you have no idea how many times I healed her. You have no idea. And I think when we think about, and now she's healed forever, amen? She is in heaven with our Lord, and she is laughing at me right now. But I hear this, and I think, you know, it's easy for us to get consumed by our piece of paper and the things going on in our lives and forget that he is active, and he is alive, and he is healing. But sometimes... It's the ultimate healing, right? Well, verse 4, he goes on, and these are personal experiences David is, is sharing, and he goes on to say this. He says that you're the God who redeems your life from the pit, speaking to himself, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy. Guys, redeems, that word. It's, it's like he's referring back to the deliverance of, of the Israelites in Exodus 12 through 15. He redeemed something that was so dark and terrible, and he changed it for good. It's God. He does that in the life of David. We get some of that written down in the book of Psalms and in some of those other books in the Old Testament where we see David's life, but some of it we don't. And so I love that David wants us to understand that God does redeem. He also uses the word crown. God is crowning us, David, us, with constant care and provision. You know that word hesed. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Psalms is just littered with steadfast love, isn't it? Do you see it everywhere? You're just everywhere. You're like, oh, again, again. Well, maybe because like the remember thing, we need to know this. We need to know that this love that God's sharing, that talking about this steadfast love and mercy, that is not a temporary thing that, that is just like kind of there sometimes. It's always and so David's reminding God, you are merciful, you love me, and you never, ever change. 
In verses five, verse five, he goes into this other part that's super personal. He says, the God who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies David with good. You know, satisfied. I didn't even write anything here. I'm like, yeah, duh, that word. We all know what that word means. How about this though? I love that God satisfies us with good because nine times out of 10, we don't know what we need, do we? We know what we want and we get mad at him sometimes when he doesn't satisfy our wants, but rather he's saying right here, David recognizes, God, you are always satisfying my need, what's best for me, even when I don't get it. And then he refers to eagles, which I love that, not because of the Philadelphia eagles, because that's terrible and we're in church, but because the eagles symbolize strength and endurance. You see that several different places in the Bible, and I love that. Who wants strength and endurance? Yeah, you're not even strong enough to raise your hand. See, you need that. David needed it too. Well, for David, this was very personal. For me, it's also personal. Where is it personal for you? Do you remember and reflect like David says he will about the places God has forgiven and healed and redeemed and crowned and satisfied and renewed you? Because he does. We just don't remember it the right way, do we? Well, he moves in to this big giant thing in in verses 6 through 14, and he gives us examples through the lives of others. He gives us the example. These are what you've done for me, God, but now I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to lay out all the things that you in action, being that cool God that you are, have done for others. And he's going to use Bible stuff as examples, which we get to do that too. Did you know that? This is ours. This is our history too. But also I thought, Chris, where are the places that God has given you remembrances where you see him in action in the lives of people that he's planted all around you. You have those people, don't you? I, I, I don't know. Sometimes, especially when we're especially in a place of loneliness or pain, we forget that there are people that God has put in our lives for those reasons, you know? Like I look around this room and I think every single one of you, I'm going to guess that there was a person with skin on that at some point in their lives had an impact on you that ended up with you being in this room. Maybe they invited you to this study. Maybe they just, when you were a kid, they, they gave you lollipops at Sunday school and you're like, what's up with this Jesus thing? Because I get lollipops and that's cool and I want to know, right? I don't know who it was, but we all, I would guess, we all have those people that God has put in our lives that give us examples. Well, David lists several, and I'm going to move fast. Um, I'm just going to read through here, and we're going to look at some of the words that he uses to describe God in action. Verse 6, the Lord works for righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Hang on to that, man. He is righteous and just. No matter what we're going through, that doesn't change. Verse 7, he says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Remember, we talked about them, them stubborn folk. Right, Because we are not like them at all, not at all. But that's who he's speaking of. If you write in your Bible, put a circle around verse 8. Put a star, I don't know, happy face, whatever you want to. Because this is the key right here of this psalm. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know why this is the key? Because David is quoting God. Did you know that? Like, I kind of forgot that for a minute. If you flip back to, and you don't have to because I did it for you. You can write it down. If you look at Exodus 34, verse 6, this is God speaking, okay? And this is what he says. This is David quoting. In Exodus 34, 6, he says this, The Lord, ugh, the Lord passed before him 
Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Okay, if there are words that you can trust, it's a direct quote from God, okay? And so if you get nothing else out of there, you remember that this is who God says he is. Verse 8, he goes on in verse 9, and he says, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Pause. How many people looked up the word chide in the dictionary? You're lying. All of you are lying. You never used that word in your whole life. I saw that, and I'm like, that's a typo. (laughs) What does that mean? Um, Well, since all of you seem to think you know what it means, for the two of us that looked it up in the dictionary, this is what we found. That the word chide means speak out in anger. It means displeased or rebuke. And the thing that's interesting to me about this verse is that he says, you ready? He will not always chide. Okay, what does that mean? It means that sometimes he will, gang. He's a good dad. Sometimes he's going to speak out in anger and be displeased or rebuke you. And that's because he loves you and he's just and righteous. Amen? We don't want this part, right? We're like our bratty little kids. I didn't mean that. Precious, darling little angels who do things and we don't want to be, we don't want to be confronted by our parents and we don't want to be rebuked, do we? Well, he says he, he will not always do that, but he does do it. Nor will he keep his anger forever. I see that as he's not a grudge holder. And that is an, oh my goodness, that is an amen, right? How many of us, don't raise your hand, it'll be weird, have done things in your past that you're not only ashamed in front of people, But in front of God, you look back and you're like, oh, God, I still can't believe I had my hair like that in college. God, I'm sorry. That was terrible, right? Like a little bit more important than your hairdo. But there are things that we regret, and God doesn't remember us because of that one moment. That's a great piece of advice. Always remember God doesn't judge you by one moment he cherry picks out of your life. Amen? We are all better for that. Tomorrow is a new day. We have another breath ahead of us. Well, he goes on, and he says... "Um, In verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He extends grace and mercy when we don't deserve it, doesn't he? Verse 11, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Listen in this section for the words us and our, because you are here. If you fear the Lord, if you trust him, if you've given your heart to Jesus... This is about you. Listen, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes and like a flower in the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remembers to do his commandments. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. That is us. That is you. When there's moments, when there's moments where it is hard to pray and it is hard to praise, go to Psalm 103 and look at all these things that he says about you and about who he is in your life. 
He doesn't give us what we deserve. He extends steadfast love. He removes transgressions. He shows compassion. He knows us. He remembers that we are fragile. And the bottom line is he doesn't change, and this is reliable. I'm one of them. I'm one of us. I fear him. What is not reliable is my word, um, exhausted, and the laundry list of things that are happening right now because you know what? In a minute, those are going to change. I'm going to have a new list tomorrow. Amen? Anybody else? That changes. This does not. What are we remembering? Well, in the last section, he goes into another section of praise, and he invites all of us in to join in this celebration. It's kind of cool. He also invites some extras in, doesn't he? He brings up the angels, and, and that's really cool because he, he, I, f- I feel like this. Well, let me read it in IRV, and you can kind of hear David's excitement. So he's gone through this whole thing, listed all these things that God is, and then he says this, praise the Lord, you angels of his. Praise him, you mighty ones. Carry out his orders and obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you angels in heaven. Praise him. All you who serve him and do what he wants, let everything the Lord has made praise him. Everywhere in his kingdom, I will praise the Lord. You know, that sounds so happy and uplifting and kind of like what I want my everyday to look like, right? I want to just wake up and be like, yes, let's do this, God. And then I remember what most scholars believe the period of his life that he wrote this. Many people believe he wrote it during the 2 Samuel 12 section of his life. And for those of you, us who don't have that memorized, um, that was a dark part of David's life. That was the part where he, um, he had an adulterous relationship with a woman that wasn't his wife. He then took her and decided she was going to be his wife. He then sent her husband, who was a loyal soldier for David, to his death. He wanted something. He took it. He took her as his wife. He got rid of the husband, killed him. I'm king. I can do whatever I want. And then she got pregnant with a baby. And so in in 2 Samuel 12, you know what's happening? 2 Samuel 12 is shortly after God has allowed that baby to die. And he said to David, there will be blood on your household for the rest of its days. Because of all the things you've done. Okay, yeah, that seems rough. He's a just and righteous God. And sometimes there are circumstances that we encounter. Sometimes there are choices that we make. And the consequences are not removed because he is a just God. And we don't like it. And so in this moment, David's writing this at a period where all of this has happened. We don't know exactly where, but we do know that God restores a relationship with him after all of that. And so I, this changes things for me because I don't look at this like, oh, happy-go-lucky David. His word was probably joy. Because you know what? David had some real ugly things. And he was going to live with consequences forever because of what he did and the choices he made. But God in his awesome God in action way is constantly reminding David and constantly reminding us that he never, ever, ever changes and so the God that, that, that was there when David was making those choices is the same God that's worthy of praise in this moment. And so when you read these words, don't forget, David is not free of all the things that life throws at us. Amen? Well, I'll say this. we got to choose revival, don't we? I mean, David, like, if nothing else, he chose it because he sure should have gone down with the ship the way some of those things went down in his life. But instead... He had this pivot and this life change. And like I said in 2 Samuel 12, if you want to go read, God restored that relationship and everything changed. 
not the history, but everything moving forward. So how do we revival? How do we do the thing? How do we choose that? Well, first we start by doing what David did. We praise him. We praise him even if, even though, even when, always. Not, we don't praise him in response to things going our way, guys, because if we do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be shallow, right? We praise him in the midst of it. We praise him in spite of it. The second thing we do is exactly what David did. We remember our God in action. What are the things that he has done for you personally that you need to remember that you're not remembering right? That you're focusing on the wrong things or you've revised history or you've taken credit for? Give him the credit. And what are the, the, who are the people that he's put in your life that you get to witness this thing unfold and you get to watch the greatness of God because of their lives, because of the lives of those in the Bible. There's a lot of them, y'all. I, I, I'm going to close with this quote. I thought it was cool. I was looking through, you know, thinking about that word revival as God was putting that word on me. And, and um, I found this quote by John Piper and, and it really spoke to what I think revival is and what I think we need and what I think David knows that we need and he needed John Piper said this, he said, God is the giver of life and man, us, as ever drifting toward lifelessness, right? That's what we do. What you get is the need for the hope of reviving, coming back to life, a fresh outpouring of God's life-giving spirit on his people. That is what revival is. Revival is the need for hope that only God can bring. Revival is the shift, the change, the before and after that we get to stop. Whether you have believed Jesus as your Savior for a long time or you haven't made the decision yet or you're thinking about it, I will tell you this. Every single one of us hits these moments where it's like, all right, got to pivot. Which way am I going? Right? Well, we are wreckage without him. We are. If we live in this word that I wrote, if we live in the circumstances and the feelings, we are wreckage. But I will tell you this, on the right side of your Bible, God fixes everything. God sends his son to be born into a world of broken misfits. Amen, anybody? Broken misfits. And he said it right. He took on every single one of our sins, every pain, every punishment, everything. He took it on for me, for you. And then... He took his place with God for me, for you, to hear every prayer, to capture every tear, to know every struggle, to be on the floor with every one of us that are broken, to be cheering for us whenever we have victory. That's the hope. That's what David knew. Well, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to let you guys go and, and br- just dig down into this a little bit more. I think you're going to find that um, all of these, these praise psalms have something to say in our little voices today, too, in our lives. Pray with me. Lord, um, will you revive us? <laughs> we need it. You know, I don't know what other people's words are. I just know that there is never a time when we don't need revival And right now, um, God, it's not a coincidence that you brought each of these people in this room or listening or watching online. It's not a coincidence because that's that's just, that's too hard to believe. You are a God of order and you're a God who has purpose. And so, Lord, for each one of us who are wondering right now, what is this to me? Who are you to me, God? I pray that you will stir something in them to remind them that you are never changing and that you flood us with steadfast love and you always provide mercy and grace no matter what. 
No matter what we feel, no matter what our emotions tell us, no matter what the world tells us, no matter how we remember things wrong, you are always there, God. Reveal yourself in our personal circumstances. Remind us of the stories of the people that are living lives that we want to live. And remind us that most of the time those lives are pointing back to you, and that's what makes it so amazing, God. We thank you for that. Thank you for being a God of action. And um, we just praise you. We praise you for bringing your son to this earth to set all of this right. And God, um, I pray that you'll be with us in our conversations and, and remind us every step of the way that you are with us, you are for us, and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.